Hello, you are listening to Gosh Sosh, my podcast where I talk about sociology and social issues. Today, I'm going to be covering how race and class are represented in American novels written by women. The novels I will be focusing on are pretty evenly split between stories about lower income families and higher income families. They will also be pretty evenly split between stories involving people of color and stories involving white people. Now I want you to think about the correlation between race and socioeconomic status as I list the books I will be referencing. House of Mirth by Edith Wharton. The Group by Mary McCarthy. Fear of Flying by Erica Zhang. The Joy Luck Club by Amy Tan. The House on Mango Street by Sandra Cisneros. The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. And Their Eyes Were Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston. Out of these books, every story that deals with higher income struggles is also about white people. And excluding the Joylet Club, because the incomes are somewhat inconsistent because of the generational stories about mothers and daughters, every book that deals with lower income struggles also deals with people of color. I think that this is interesting for many reasons. One reason being that this sort of representation in media makes it seem like a book that has to do with non-white Americans must also have to do with lower income struggles, which further reinforces the misconception that whiteness means success or wealth, while every quote-unquote other race relates to the opposite of success or wealth. This idea can prevent books from being published if they are by authors that are people of color if they are not also specific to class issues, effectively pigeonholing entire races of people, which is similar to the notion that women authors have to write about women's issues or that they can only write for women. Similarly, white men are allowed to make up stories about things that they have not experienced, while women and people of color are thought to have to write about things that they have lived or risked not getting published. This is certainly the case with most all of the authors I've named so far. Almost all of them insert themselves in, or their experiences into their writings in one way or another. This link between race and class in these books is also interesting because while the average income for African Americans and Hispanic people is lower than the average income for white people, this does not mean that being a person of color and being poor are synonymous. And often, things that people think are specific to race are really just specific to class or other factors entirely. When running regressions and statistics, a lot of the time when there is a correlation between a variable and race, it often goes away once a control for income is added. So like in one case, data was showing that African Americans were getting lower test scores than white people. Once specific rules were added, the link between race and test score went away almost entirely. In this instance, there were multiple controls that were added in addition to income, like educational level and region where they lived or age, but it is likely income that was a control that helped to establish that there is not really a link between race and test scores. This sort of thing is applicable to the section in The House on Mango Street when Esperanza was talking about how people would lock their doors when they came into their neighborhood, and she didn't understand why. But then she proceeded to talk about not feeling safe in neighborhoods that were like hers, but with white people. Toni Morrison also talks about how wealth can be assumed based off of a person's race, or even how light or dark a person of color is. The character Maureen Peel is both lighter-skinned and wealthy, and because of this she is not questioned about her wealth, while the other girls who have darker skin may uh, are less likely to be presumed wealthy. Like when Bacola is blamed for killing a cat, and the cat's owner looks at her in her torn clothes, being held together with safety pins and gum, and the woman calls her a black 
even though the woman is also black. She calls Bacala black to try and insult her, which is just another example of skin tone and wealth being associated. While I think it is interesting that the novels are based in lower-income homes are also the novels that are written from the perspective of either African Americans or Hispanic women, I think that it is equally interesting that the class of the novel that was written from the perspective of a Chinese woman is kind of ambiguous. The ambiguity of the focal social class in this novel is mostly due to the abundance of stories told throughout it, but it is also because half of the stories are written from one generation and half from another. While this is clearly the reason why it is not entirely about one specific class, it is also symbolic of the way that Chinese or Asian Americans are classified in the United States. The model minority myth, as applied to America and Asian Americans, is the idea that Asian Americans are altogether more successful than any other American, and because of this, all other racial minorities should follow their example. The model minority myth can really be applied to any nation or any society, but in America it's really most applicable to Asian Americans. The model minority myth is really a lot of pressure for everybody. It's a lot of pressure for Asian Americans to try to live up to these standards, these fake standards that white people have made for them. And it's also a lot of pressure towards other racial minorities to be more like this high, high standard. Along with this, for a while, in some cases, statisticians would not include data about Asian Americans, but would instead add all of the data that they collected about Asian Americans to the data about white people. The reason they would do this is because the data about Asian Americans was either identical to or improved the data about white people. This not only is a falsification of data and is overall just really corrupt, but it prevents people from being able to see statistics about Asian Americans. While there weren't exactly any examples of society really putting any pressure on these daughters to be perfect or anything, there was a pressure for the daughters to be part of both American culture and Chinese culture with more emphasis on American culture. With the pressure that the mothers put on the daughters to be more American comes all of the American standards and expectations, which means that the daughters, even though it wasn't very noticeable in the book, are likely to be held to the model minority standard at some point in their lives, if not already in their life. Now going back to the higher income households and their struggles, their struggles are definitely less imminent and urgent the issues they face are almost never life or death, and they have far fewer dire concerns. While the books that deal with lower-income households face issues like sexual assault, abuse, and racism, the books that are based in higher-income households most often deal with things like infidelity or social status and reputation. This is not to say that the troubles aren't as important, necessarily, in the books that are surrounding higher-income households, but they're definitely a different grade. And also, they actually might not be as important, maybe just a little less important. This, of course, excludes the parts of a couple of the higher income books that deal with death, or in one case of the group, in the group, one of the women is sexually assaulted. These differences and struggles are related to white feminism, and in white feminism, women are fairly likely to talk about issues that are not immediately important to survival, while intersectional feminism often deals with things like how there's a very large amount of missing, murdered, and indigenous women, or how African-American women are drastically more likely to die during childbirth. These sort of life or death issues are definitely more important than worrying about your husband cheating on you or worrying about how to fly back to America because you were privileged enough to fly to a different country in the first place. The parts of The Bluest Eye and Their Eyes Were Watching God, where they face abuse or sexual assault, 
are definitely more important than parts of fear of flying or the group where they're trying to worry about things like birth control or infidelity. And this doesn't mean that the group or fear of flying aren't important books just because they don't deal with things that are as dire as dealt with in the bluest eye of their eyes or watching God. It just means that they're important in different ways, I guess. And it's not really any of these authors' fault that they don't have issues that are as big as the other books deal with. It really just means that they are experiencing white privilege because they don't deal with these kind of things. And we can't really blame these women for not writing about these things because they haven't experienced them. So if they were to write about them, it would be a lie. It's similarly important for these women to write about what they know as it is for the other women to write about what they know. The important thing is that we have access to all of these kinds of books. Because books like Their Eyes Were Watching God or The Bluest Eye have been out of production or have been banned from libraries. Books like The House of Mirth and The Group are never banned and always in production. The banning of books like The Bluest Eye and Their Eyes Were Watching God prevents people from being able to understand the issues that some people face all every day. Meanwhile, the other books are still in production and are in the libraries, so it seems like there's only one kind of issue, one kind of plight out there. Effectively flooding the novel market with books that are only about higher income problems instead of lower income problems that are actually more dire and are actually worth fixing before fixing the higher income problems. Yet these problems are less likely to be solved because people act like they're not as important and they're normalized. The problems are normalized not only by society, but by the people who are experiencing them. Everybody in the bluest eye just acts like this is day-to-day -day life and that, oh, these things happen, it's not really a big deal. When in reality, the children are experiencing things that no adult should experience. But it seems normal because it happens to other people. Just because these problems are normalized doesn't mean that they shouldn't try to be fixed. It doesn't mean that we should ignore them or try to make them more normalized. But because people are normalized, just these sort of big issues, they're just looked over and then the higher income issues are focused on because they're not nearly as normalized. This just leads to society feeling really bad for women who are sad because their husbands cheated on them while they can totally ignore children that are being sexually assaulted because the children don't really know to complain about it. Just like how no one did anything when Piccola was impregnated by her father. They just judged the whole family. They didn't try to bring it to justice or anything. It was just a regular thing that happens sometimes. This is why novels that focus on lower income struggles should not be banned, but should be considered very important. Not to normalize them, but to bring attention to the issues in hopes that maybe it will spark change. More novels about these kinds of urgent struggles should lead to more empathy and awareness of what some people go through. That about wraps up our time here today, talking about how race and class are represented in American women's novels. This has been Gosh Sosh with Emma Wilson, and thank you for listening. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.